Welcome back to the Sleep for Performance podcast. Uh, today we're going to do something a little bit different because I'm going to look at the intersectionality between science, mythology, and folklore. And if you're following along here on YouTube, you'll be able to see some of the slides I prepared in advance. But if you're listening to, we'll give you a very comprehensive overview of it. Now, sleep, obviously, and its relationship with science, mythology, and folklore is a massive subject and could be probably the focus of 20 PhDs. But I'm just going to focus on one particular subject that's been coming up um, a lot over the last year or so. And I think it might be got to do with an increase in stress um, for a lot of people who may be experiencing this. And it's called sleep paralysis. And you may have heard of this um, before, but you may have also heard of some of the folklore around it as well. So over the next few minutes, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the folklore that is associated with this. So if we look across the world, we see many different stories have emerged in our culture to basically be a vehicle to explain things that we don't understand. And we've seen this in, you know, theology or religion, mythology, philosophy, well, not maybe philosophy, but more about theology, but some may argue in philosophy as well. You may have seen it in different parts. And if we think back to when we were kids, we were all um, brought up probably with fairy tales and, and other sort of stories as well. Uh, one thing I'm going to lead off with here is something what's called a hag. And it's often thought of as a type of a witch or a fairy or some sort of shapeshifter that exists in the, the parallel realm to us here on this earth. Uh, it's not a good one. Uh, she can be known as the hag or the night hag. And as we'll see across many different countries, she or he can be known as different names. And there is um, different genders associated with this type of activity, depending on whether you're a male or a female. The, the word here for the, for the night hag or the old hag seems to come from old English word called Mira, if I'm pronouncing this right, M-A-E-R-A, which is derived then from a German and Scandinavian word, Mare, M-A-R-E. Now, this is also very similar to a word that we have in Irish language called Marov, which means dead, which is similar to Muerte in Spanish, which means uh, to be dead as well. And the word Mara, M-A-R-A, is also in the Sanskrit, language um where mara is a demon or a certain type of character and for anybody who's maybe read about buddhism you might have heard about mara coming to test the buddha with beautiful daughters and interestingly reading this i often thought i, I had some thoughts here about you know jesus being tempted as well by different things so maybe there's a crossover here and lots of similarities in these types of stories now the hag is also um seems to be some sort of uh relation or some friend of succubus s-u-c-c-u-b-u-s if i'm pronouncing that right again which i'm probably not pronouncing most of these things right um but let's have a look at what the hag potentially may look like this is a painting back from 1781 uh, by anglo-swiss artist henry fuseli uh, it shows a woman in deep sleep with her arms thrown below her and with a demonic and ape-like incubus crouched on her chest the painting's dreamlike and haunting erotic evocation of infatuation and obsession was hugely popular now interestingly enough sleep paralysis does not occur in deep sleep deep sleep being stage three sleep but rather occurs in REM sleep so there is a, a slight error there in the description of that picture um, but as you can see here it's quite a ghoulish type of thing and it's said that this sits on your chest um, and basically the Succubus is a demon or supernatural entity uh, in female form. And so if it's a male form, 
it's uh, incubus, and if it's female, sorry, yes, if it's female, it's succubus, and if it's female, it's incubus. We have a picture of incubus in a second. Um, although this picture here depicts the it looks well, it looks to be like a male version on top of a female. But in general, these entities are they appear to appear in dreams, particularly the succubus, to seduce men. Uh, usually through sexual activity and repeated sexual activity with a succubus can cause poor physical harm or mental health issues and even death it's thought as well an incubus is a demon in male form and we'll have a look at the incubus here this is a picture here of what the incubus is supposed to be on top of a female uh, is a demon in male form who according to mythology and legendary tradition lies upon sleeping women in order to engage in sexual activity with them and some traditions hold that repeated sexual activity with the incubus or succubus may result in deterioration of health or impaired mental state or even death. So we see this for both the incubus and the succubus, that these uh, things uh, basically occur. So the first description of uh, sleep paralysis was published in 1664 uh, by a Dutch physician and his case histories. And here he refer this is to the nightmare or the incubus or the nightmare. So we see these words being, being used interchangeably. It's also thought that these uh, demon-like things, incubus or succubus um, or hags, are the explanation of nocturnal emissions or commonly known as wet dreams, which can affect um, men and women, actually, um, up until about the age of 25, and even as older as 30, uh, we do see this happening for people. So this might be kind of an explanation of what is occurring during these times. I first read about the hag probably 12 or 13 years ago um, in folklore, in a story about Newfoundland, um, which is now part of Canada, I think, since the 50s. Um, after I went searching for reasons behind sleep paralysis, and I started running into these stories about it in different uh, countries, uh, it is taught that the, the hag comes to see you in the night, and she's responsible for sitting on top of you whilst you're asleep. Now, it seems to be in Newfoundland that the hag is very much a, a female-type entity that sits upon your chest. And they call it the old hag. In the Caribbean, in St. Lucia, the creature is called Kokma, C-K-O-K-M-A. And so we'll see as well as we go around the world with some of these things, there's different names for these and different explanations behind them. So it seems to be when you're asleep that these um, demon-like characters are sitting upon your chest and may help explain what's happening during sleep paralysis. But let's look a bit further about what's happening across the world because this one is quite interesting. Sudden unexplained nocturnal death syndrome, S-U-N-D-S, or SUNDS. Since 1977, more than 100 people from various Southeast Asian ethnic communities have died mysteriously in their sleep. The community most severely affected was immigrant Laotian Hong, Hong men, H-M-O-N-G. These men, in relatively good health, with a median age of 33, were dying at a rate of 92 per 100,000. Since the discovery of the high prevalence of sons among this group, one study has observed a link between sleep paralysis at two to four times higher occurrence in this community, and in a belief in the DAB song, D-A-B, T-S-O-G, a crushing nightmare spirit which sits on the chest and takes your breath. And stress are possible catalysts for sons resulting in death. In the 35 years since this has been identified amongst these people, the Center for Disease Control, CDC, initial statement on the cause still holds a definitive cause of death as unknown. So they still don't know exactly what causes this death, but there is some sort of uh, 
association here with sleep paralysis as well, which is quite interesting. The term sleep paralysis was coined by uh, Wilson in 1928, and sleep paralysis is considered a disease when reoccurrent and disturbing, uh, according to International Classification of Sleep Disorders. So this is by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. You may have heard me talk about this in terms of the diagnostic criteria for uh, sleep disorders, which there's over 70 of them. Now, sleep paralysis is in the bracket or the grouping of what we call parasomnias. It's very hard to pick these up in a lab as well or at home because if you use an actigraphy, it's not going to show up on actigraphy devices at home. And if you're in a laboratory, if it only happens a couple of times a year, it's going to be very hard to pick this up um, unless you sleep in there for many nights. And some people may only have it every couple of years. So it can be very difficult um, to pick up on. It's classified as unusual behavior or abnormal psychological events that occur during the transition between sleep and wakefulness. They're generally accompanied these periods of sleep paralysis by intense anxiety, inability to perform voluntary movements, even to scream or cry out for help. And in some cases, fear of impending death uh, occurs. Um, and this is most common actually in women from the, from the research. And it's in when the body is in the supine position. Now, I must say that everything I'm talking about here is reference as well. So I will put some references into the show notes if you want to go and check them out. But I haven't uh, just uh, Googled a bunch of uh, <laughs> crazy websites to come up with these uh, this information. Anything here I'm talking about in terms of a scientific um, association with these myths has come from actually published peer-reviewed scientific papers, um, some of them from archaeology and some from um, history, folklore-type journals as well. So looking at this crossover here. So sleep paralysis can affect for anywhere from 1% to 40% of the general population, with the majority of incidents affecting students or younger people, and generally kind of peaks by the age of 30 and appears to be associated with post-traumatic stress disorder, narcolepsy, and panic attacks. And there's also some evidence that the sleep paralysis um, may exist um, and be associated with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. So again, we can start seeing some of these associations with sleep paralysis. Um, one thing we see as well from reading some other papers is that it seems to be that sleep paralysis is caused by two main factors that we can see. One has been stress, so daytime stress, which maybe a lot of people have been experiencing during the COVID lockdowns and the, the craziness of the world. And the and obviously the stress of working at home and maybe looking after kids or maybe the stress of losing your job or in some people they have been really, really busy because their work has taken off. And then the other thing we see as well is disrupted sleep schedules. Um, these, seems to be the, these seem to be the two main factors that affect sleep paralysis. And again, over the last couple of years, a lot of people have had disrupted sleep uh, due to irregular meeting times, work, um, homeschooling kids, and so on. So basically all the things I've said previously, although people aren't maybe traveling as much, there is a lot of disruption in the sleep scheduling that's going on. Now, sleep paralysis uh, generally occurs or does occur in the REM cycle. So this is when you're in dreaming sleep, rapid eye movement, and um, it can be a mistiming of muscle atonia. So basically what happens is if we uh, scroll down here to the stages of sleep, which I've spoken about before, the deeper we go down this chart here, the deeper we go to sleep into dif different stages of sleep. So we've got wake, REM, N1, N2, and N3. And just as a brief recap, rapid eye movement is 25% of your overall sleep period. And this is for psychological repair to improve cognition, performance, and memory. So kind of a psychological reboot or uh, update in the software is probably the easiest way to think about. 
non-rapid eye movement sleep is responsible for about 75% of that sleep period. And this is updating the hardware. So it's physical repair and recovery. Um, and this is where uh, growth hormone is released. So we're looking really here at these REM periods of sleep. And predominantly, the, most of the REM periods of sleep happen back towards the end of the night, between sort of three and six in the morning or three and seven. So the, the back end of your actual sleep period. So this is when this will happen. Now, when we're in this REM sleep is characterized by, you know, basically a state of unconsciousness, your eyes will be rolling in your head. Um, you will have these uh, slow rolling eye movements. Uh, you will have muscle atonia, so you can't move because uh, you don't want to be acting out your dreams. That will be called REM behavior disorder. And uh, you don't really have any movement in, in your chin either in the EMG and so on. So there's a number of different factors there that we look at from a criteria to show you're in REM sleep coupled with diagnostic criteria in the brain activity. And it seems to be that when we're in sleep paralysis, that it's like a crossover where your body is nearly kind of still in musculatonia, but you're in this kind of crossover period between REM sleep and wake sleep where you're um, kind of conscious of what's around you, but you may still be having a dream at the same time. And this is why some people often see a shape or a shadow in the room um, or feel like they're, they're being crushed on by their chest um, around the chest area. It's predominantly kind of the upper in the torso area or the upper, upper part of the body around the chest where people feel this crushing sensation. So this is really when it happens here from a scientific perspective. And just back on this other slide here, it seems that the succubus, um, the female is generally when you try to get images of the succubus tends to be these highly uh, sexualized image in cartoon form. I'm not really sure what this is. I don't uh, follow any of these kind of things or never even seen them before, but they were quite, it's quite hard to get an actual artistic picture from like with the incubus that we had before. Um, we don't seem to be able to get them. So it seems to be popularized in some sort of uh, domain of animation somewhat and highly sexualized as well. So let's look at some other examples where um, this may be happening. In Brazil, they have a, a Pisa Diera, which is a is like a type of a, a demon with long fingernails who lurks on the roofs at night in order to trample on the chest of those who sleep. Um, Luis de Camara Cascuda, a renowned folklorist born in Brazil, um, he also adds this description by saying that it is, has gauntness and unkept hair. This led me on to try and see if there was any link between the Banshee and Ireland, but didn't seem to be able to find any sort of link between the Banshee. So... Uh, Luis or Luis uh, states here is the nightmare is it says here about that piece of the era. It's the nightmare personified in an old woman, in an old man or woman, the nightmare or the Roman nocturna, nocturna oppressio has always been explained by the evil intention intervention of the incubus, a demon or malevolent spirit in many cultures, cultures and nightmare also known as the classic one era Diana was due to a giant or a dwarf, a terrible woman or man taking advantage that is sleeping, would sit upon their stomach and pressure their thorax, disturbing one's breathing. So again, seeing some examples here in different cultures. He also said that in uh, when you look at the word as well, the etymology of this word, the pisa de era in Portuguese, Pesadelo, 
derives from peso or pesado, which means heavy in French. It's from the verb cocher, from Latin calcare, denotes to press or to push. Uh, fan, the English word nightmare is the night demon or devil, as we spoke about at the start as well. So we're seeing this kind of link between these words and the etymology of them, where they're coming from. We also see it in Japanese tradition as well. Uh, it, the word is the kanash hibari. It's a cultural equivalent of uh, what we see in Brazil, a state being totally bound as if constrained by metal chains. Uh, the kanash hibari may emerge through the spell of a summoner who uses a vengeful spirit to suffocate his enemies. And it's a popular phenomenon in the, in the Far East, often represented in mangas, the Japanese comic books. I don't read those, so someone else might be able to verify that one for me. Uh, sleep paralysis appears in other cultures as well, in Thailand. Um, it's the Fiam, P-H-I-A-M, is a ghost that haunts subjects when half asleep and unable to move. The Egyptians believe it was caused by the jinn, who are malevolent spirit-like creatures. And Ethiopians consider the evil to, to consider it to be an evil spirit that haunts them when they sleep as well. The Hom people, H-M-O-N-G, um, the ethnic group from Vietnam and Laos, we spoke a little bit about that with the sudden um, um, death syndrome, believe that a pressing spirit sits on the chest of sleepers and tries to asphyxiate them. Chinese people think it's a, a ghost oppression that sits upon them. And Nigeria, the Yoruba people from Southwest Nigeria believe that the Ugun Uru is a female demon who possesses body and mind during dreaming. Also seen as well here that in um, Irish folklore collections, hallucinations associated with Trumlu took the form of a big bird, sometimes with many wings or talons. The bird first lay on sleeper's legs and then moved up to press down on the whole body. Uh, this is obvious parallels with the Strigis and Lamey of classical myth and belief. In Cornwall, Cornwall, which is also a Celtic area of the UK, the nightmare was attributed to the Hilla, a great hairy thing which lay on them with a dead weight that almost stopped their breathing. So we see a lot of these uh, uh, folklore and myths uh, emerging in, in different communities around the world. And it's quite interesting that as humans, we all experience this or have experienced this. And so, you know, as many things previously, when we didn't have any scientific information, we may you know, construct stories to uh, make sense of what's occurring. Or maybe the stories are real and the science is just verifying them. Who knows? Um, I think there's still lots of work to do in this area. I think as a scientist and as a human, you have to be open to different theories and different possibilities. If anybody has, has sleep paralysis, you may want to make a comment there on the YouTube and let us know what it was like or send us in some comments. Um, it's, it's not a very good feeling to have. Uh, I've had it a few times myself. It's not very nice. And generally, for me, it's been related to stress and uh, irregular sleep schedules. So I've been working nights or evenings, or I've not paid attention to my own sleep. Um, this has occurred. So I think two of the things, like we said, about the stress and the sleep are really important. So it's probably a good time to revisit these good sleep hygiene principles. Um, and there's 10 of them here. So the routine, getting up, and, getting up and going to bed at the same time every day is a key aspect of sleep behaviors and sleep patterns. Obviously, exercising daily and watching your caffeine consumption as well before 12 is always good if you're having trouble sleeping. And deal with stress during the day 
and early in the evening. One of the things that uh, I think is highly recommended, and I've seen Amy Bender post about this, who's been on the podcast before about making a to-do list, um, you know, on at the end of the day or basically doing some gratitude, like, you know, what was good today or what am I thankful for? And then writing down what you've got to do for tomorrow. I find personally that planning out my month in advance, my weeks and my days is very helpful for minimizing stress because then I just get up in the morning and I just go straight to work. Try not to go to bed hungry or thirsty either. Uh, avoiding uh, caffeine, nicotine, and alcohol. These will all uh, exacerbate this. No screen time. So again, level of minimizing stress. Have your bedroom comfortable and inviting. Avoid daytime naps if you're having trouble sleeping at nighttime. And avoid work within 90 minutes of bed. You can see a lot of these are related to stress. So we're trying to minimize as much stress as possible. And if awake after 90, after 20 minutes, maybe get out of bed and do something a bit relaxing until you feel sleepy. So maybe stretch a bit. Do not get up and start doing emails, please. <laughs> maybe read a, a, an easy book or a magazine and uh, maybe stay off Facebook and, and the like of that. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, slightly different episode where we started exploring some of the differences between mythology, folklore, and uh, sleep science. Um, might be doing some more of these later on. Be interesting to see what people think of them. Um, if you have any comments, any feedback, as always, you can email me at ian.dunican at sleepforperformance.com. .au. You can go over to the website there and find out lots more about what we do anyway. And uh, hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll talk next time.